Um, if you've got your program, if you'll open that up, we have a ton to cover today. First service, listen fast enough to get out on time. So I'm hoping that you guys will also uh, listen fast. And uh, you're going to want to jot several things down, not only to fill in those blanks there. I've got nine blanks to fill in, or ten, I guess. But um, there's some other things that I'm going to give you to fill out in the margin uh, to add to this. Today we're looking at financial health. And it might surprise you that Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. In fact, half the parables that Jesus taught in the New Testament, half of them have to do with money. Isn't that amazing? Half of them? Why, why would you think that? Why would you think he would spend so much of his ministry time, teaching time, talking about money? Well... I think it's because money can dominate our lives. It, it influences our lives either for good or for bad in a tremendous way. Money can be used in our lives for great things, and of course it can be used for bad things either way. We spend so much of our time, so much of our life, we spend earning money, thinking about money, worrying about money, investing it, spending it, studying about it, saving it, all these different things. Our life revolves around it. And if we don't learn to manage our money, our money is going to end up managing us. So today, we're going to look at really one of the most misunderstood parables that Jesus ever taught in the entire Bible. It's a doozy. It's in Luke chapter 16. And the reason why it's so confusing is because this passage makes it appear that Jesus is approving of dishonesty. And people are like, ah, I'm uncomfortable with this, the way it just lays out. Well, he's not approving of dishonesty. He just uses a clever crook as the hero of the story, primarily because uh, he's using it for shock value because of who he was telling this story to. I'll tell you all about that. So let me first read you the story from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. And it's called the parable of the dishonest or the shrewd manager. He starts in verse 1. It says, Jesus told this story to his disciples and to the others that are there. This, there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I love that part. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come in to discuss his situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, well, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. He cuts it in half. And it's like, well, this could between me and you. We're not going to tell the boss about this. Verse 7 says, and how, much do you owe my, and how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. 
was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So he's doing this under the table, obviously without permission. says the rich man, the owner, had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Now this is a strange story. In the next verses, Jesus starts to give us a little clue or some insight to what it means. Because Jesus says, here is the lesson. It's almost like anytime Jesus says, here's the lesson, you ought to get your pen, click it open, and like, I need to write this down. Jesus says, here is the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And we're like, what? Are we supposed to buy? Are we buying friends? This is getting even weirder, wilder. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Here it is. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. He's talking about heaven. In verse 10 it says, this is a famous, famous passage, famous verse. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, in other words, if you're not a good money manager, if you've not taken care of the money that I've given you, if you've been untrustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Spiritual riches, the real riches of life. Verse 12, it says, if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other you will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money now he doesn't say you should not he says you can't it's impossible you can't serve god and money and this may be the most shocking and most misunderstood story that jesus ever told but it's important to note a couple of things first jesus is not praising this guy's dishonesty He's praising his shrewdness. We'll get to that in just a minute, what, is, what, what that means. He's not praising dishonesty. Second, he's saying we can learn from anybody. If we know the right questions to ask, we can learn from anybody. He's saying we can learn from all kinds of people, even this dishonest guy. Now, we don't want to learn his dishonesty, but he's even done some things right that we can learn some positive things from, things that we need to do with our money. The other thing I want you to notice is the two reasons that Jesus tells the story. First, who is Jesus talking to? He's telling this story to his disciples, but he's really speaking to the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the religious leaders of that day. Here are the characteristics of a Pharisee. A Pharisee, they were incredibly arrogant. They were not humble. They're very prideful. Pharisees were self-righteous. They were judgmental. They were demeaning and they were demanding of people. They didn't really like people. The other thing about Pharisees that, that's interesting is they were hypocrites. They said one thing and lived another. They said one thing and believed something else. They told people to do things to keep, keep commandments that they themselves didn't even do. Jesus loved to poke at the Pharisees. He loved to kick the hornet's nest, so to speak, to pop their balloon. Jesus had an amazing ability to comfort the afflicted while simultaneously afflicting the comforted. And this is what we see here. Jesus knew that the Pharisees loved their money. 
That's why he tells this shocking story of a crook who is a hero. And then look at these last couple of verses in this passage. This is the rest of verse 14 and 15. It says, The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. And then he said directly to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. And this last phrase is the reason why we're looking at this passage today. The things that most people in the world think matter, what the world honors, God says they don't matter at all. What do most people in our society think matter the most? What do most people in our society honor? Possessions, pleasure, power, prestige, popularity, sex, salary, status, money, lust, power. These are the kind of things, fame, that our society lifts up. And God says those things don't even really matter at all. Those aren't the important things in life. And in this series on transformation, we've been talking about our theme verse, which is don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't adopt their values, what they honor and lift up. Don't adopt that as your own. Instead, be transformed by the way that you think, by the renewing of your mind. The Bible teaches us a whole new way to think about money. It's completely counterculture. It, what God says about money is the exact opposite of everything society, of everything the world teaches us about money. Jesus is talking about people who love money. So the message today, it's not a message on giving. It's not a message even on tithing. This is a message on how we handle our finances, how we have to learn how to manage our money well. Because money is one of the greatest, how we've got to learn to think about money the way that God thinks about money. Because money is one of our greatest sources of worry. People worry, worry, worry about all things related to finances. I don't have enough. Where am I going to get my next, you know, my, my next bill that's due? What if we have a financial, I have to have an emergency fund? You know, we spend a lot of time wringing our hands. How do I protect it? How do I save it? Um, a lot of times worrying, what if I have too much month and not enough money for the month? Um, it's the number one cause, wrong attitudes or disagreeable attitudes about money. It's the number one cause of divorce in our, in our country. And it's one of the greatest causes of stress in our life. So Jesus doesn't praise this guy's dishonesty, but he does praise his shrewdness. He even says that. So what is shrewdness? If you want to jot a couple of words there, uh, maybe that little margin there, the little white spot. To be shrewd means we're smart, we're sharp, we're strategic, and we're resourceful. When we're shrewd, we see a problem clearly, we know what needs to be done, and we figure out how I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do what needs to be done to solve this problem. God wants us to learn how to be biblically shrewd with our money for the rest of our lives. And from this story, we're going to learn four things to not do with money. I'm just going to touch on those. Four things to not do, never, never, never do with your money. 
And then we're going to learn five things that we need to remember. I'm going to focus most of my time on those five things we need to remember the rest of our lives. If we could daily remember these five things that God says about money for the rest of our lives, it will greatly reduce the stress in our life. You will live a, stress, a stress-free life if we could learn to do this. The first thing we learn in this story are the four things to not do with our money. And as I said, I'm just going to quickly read these and the scriptures that go with them. So number one, the first thing to not do with our money, don't waste money. Don't waste it. The Bible says don't waste money that God has allowed you to have. In verse 1 it says, one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So if we walk around with the attitude of, hey, it's my money and I'll waste it if I want to, who cares anyway? I'll tell you who cares. God cares. Because we have to realize, hey, this money isn't my money. It's God's money. Then all of a sudden, if I start thinking of money as God's money, I'm more careful that I don't end up wasting God's money. Big difference. Don't waste it. Number two, don't love money. Don't love it. The Bible says we're not to love or live for money. Verse 13 says, no one can, love, can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, circle cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible, Jesus says, to live with a divided allegiance. It's impossible to live with a divided heart, a divided conscience about money. And he lays this out kind of in black and white, or in your Bible, he, might, he labels it, lays it out in red and white. It's a red-letter word. We've got to choose, Jesus says, what's going to be number one in our life because you can't have two number ones in life. Third thing, don't trust your money. Don't trust money. Don't waste it. Don't love it. Don't trust money for security. I don't care how much money you have, you can lose it. We've seen this happen, you know, and in our own lifetime, I've told you before, don't put your trust in your 401K because something can happen on Wall Street or Washington and all of a sudden 401K becomes 104K overnight, doesn't it? We've seen that happen. Um, it says, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. Most of you know what it feels like to lose. Some, many of you, you've lost a job in the past. You've been out of work and all of a sudden you don't feel secure anymore because your stream of your source of income isn't there anymore. How many times have I said, don't put your security in anything that can be taken taken from you? No matter how much, how many zeros are in your bank account, we know that it can, it can change. No matter what you put your trust in, don't put it in something that you can lose. We talk about that. So don't waste it, don't love it, don't trust it, because we can all lose it. In fact, look what this verse says. This is a great verse from Proverbs. Solomon wrote Proverbs. He's one of the wisest Wisest man to ever live. It says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Did you know that was in the Bible? That's a great verse. These are some all-star verses. You don't put your trust in money because money is not trustworthy. The fourth thing, don't expect money to satisfy. Don't expect money to satisfy. If we think having more will make us more happy or more secure or more valuable, you are fiercely misguided. Money will not add value. Money will not add worth 
to your self-worth. It's not going to satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, also Solomon says, Those who love money will never have enough. Boy, isn't that the truth? How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Luke 12.15 says, Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. You know, sometimes... We look at people who have a large net worth, and we think that that gives them a lot of a lot of self worth, a lot of uh, a lot of happiness. Your self worth has no connection to your net worth. Your valuables do not determine your determine your value. The verse that we've been looking at is: Don't be conformed to the way the world thinks. Be transformed, or allow God to transform you in the way that you think by the renewing of your mind. You know, you can be one of the wealthiest people on the planet. doesn't guarantee you're going to be happy. doesn't guarantee that your marriage is going to succeed. You can be one of the world's top billionaires, and your marriage can go under. We're seeing that played out in the press before our very eyes. Like how if money could bring you marital happiness or life happiness and fulfillment, you would think that the wealthiest people would be the happiest, have the strongest marriages. They're not. Okay, and that doesn't surprise us. We know that this is true. So I want us to look at this story at the five things that God says about money and spend most of our time here because these are so radical. They're so revolutionary. They're so counterculture. They're the exact opposite of everything that we've been taught. But if we would learn to act on to remember and then act on these five things, the stress level in our life is going to go dramatically down. Five things that we can learn from this story from your Savior Jesus. It's a difficult story to understand, but as we unpack it, you're going, oh, these are the things that I can take home and I can apply to my marriage. I can apply to my family. I can apply to my life. The first thing that I want you to write down that I want us to remember, every day we need to remember this. Every day I need to remember that my money all, you want to circle the word all. Every day I need to remember that my money all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. The whole, the whole universe belongs to God. We belong to God. We don't really own anything. What we think we own is really on loan. We didn't own it before we were born. What did you own before you were born? You came in this world with, not, with nothing. Hadn't your dad told you that since you were a little kid? And you know what? One day when you leave this earth, you're not going to take any of this with you. God's going to loan it to somebody else. He just loans it to you for 80, 90. Maybe you're lucky you live to be 100 years old. I'd like to be in heaven by my 100th birthday. And we get to use it while we're here and while we're alive. But we don't own anything. And in this story, the owner has all this property, and he lets a manager take care of it, take care of his property. We are all managers, You may not realize it, but you are a manager. God has put some things in your life under your management. Everything we have is a gift from God. It's all a gift. Your life is a gift. Your possessions, your resources, your talents, your treasures, and the time you have. Even the next breath. This is all a gift from God. Your brain your physical health, your thoughts. People say sometimes, well, well, Jerry, you know, I, I worked with my hands. I worked hard for everything that I've got. Who do you think gave you your hands? 
Who do you think gave you your, your brain that allowed you to earn a living? You're so smart. People say, oh, you're so smart. Who made you so smart? You know, even today, there's not like, you know, www.sendmehands.com. You know, you can't order 1-800-GIVE-ME-SOME-HANDS. You know, you can't get a brain from Amazon. You might be able to order a brain from Amazon, truth is. But not when that works. Someone is hooked up. Okay? So I don't, I don't know. You'll probably be there by the time. Somebody was Googling that first service. Yep, it'll be here by the time I get home. So just because you have a brain doesn't mean you have a mind. Doesn't mean God has given you all of those things. And it all belongs to him. We're just managers of these things. It's all on loan. God is seeing what we're doing with what he's given us because we're all managers. And if we start looking at everything this way, that, hey, you know, I don't really own anything. This is all God's. It's like when I leave, I go get in my car, and I realize this isn't my car. This is a car. This car is God's car. He's given me possession of it. I'm a steward of it. I'm managing it. But this is God's car. When I go home and I realize when I walk through the door, this isn't my home. This is the home God has given me to be a steward of, to, to manage. When I sit down and I'm eating lunch on dishes, it's, these dishes aren't even mine. They're, they're, everything on the planet is God's. You're not taking any of this with you. You didn't bring any of this into this world with you. It's on loan to you for a little while while you're here. And when that happens, when we transition ownership, when I was, I was about 16 years old when I heard this taught for the first time, and um, the teacher was saying, you know, if you will just picture in your mind signing over the title to your car to God, the stress level, you won't have to worry about your responsibility to protect it, to keep it going. It'll be God's responsibility. And I thought, that's a great idea. I did that now. And when I was 16 years old, I, only, I, I owned a 76 Vega. That wasn't giving God much giving him back much he didn't trust me with much you know for those of you who've ever had a vega you know what i mean i traded up to a to a bug to a you know a 69 bug that wasn't really a trade up but you know it when we transition ownership and realize that everything god is all really yours i'm just a a steward you help help me manage this then when you get out and you have a a dent in your car, you get in a fender bender and you wreck your car, you can feel like, hey, God, this is your car. You let your car get wrecked. What do you want me to do? You know, and what do you want me to do with your money? And if he says, I give you the money to fix this, then you fix it. You, we just had Mother's Day last week, and we had all these little bundles of joy up here, all these kids, and parents dedicated their their kids to the Lord, they say, okay, Lord, I need help parenting them, and these kids are really your responsibility. I'm just, I'm giving you my kids. What do you do when your kid's like 12 years old, and you go, man, your kid, they look at you, and they go, your kid needs braces. You look at God, say, God, you know, your kid needs braces. This kid you gave me, he needs braces. You know, you, you didn't give him straight teeth. What are you, why do you give him straight teeth? God says, hey, I'm going to give you the resources to pay for that. It doesn't become your responsibility. It becomes God's responsibility because he ultimately is the one in charge of our life. And we need to live that way or remind ourselves that, hey, everything I have, if I'm in charge, if I'm the little G, if I'm the God of my life, then man, there's a lot of stress being a little God trying to run my life and the master of my own fate. If I've got to pay for it all, I've got to worry about it all, where it's going to come from. But if I'm just a child of God and I put it all in his hands and say, God, everything I have is yours. 
And I just need to remind myself. He already knows that. And I just need to remind myself of that. The stress, all of these things I'm just trying to manage. Lord, you tell me what you want me to do with the stuff that you've given me, and I'll do it. And the stress in your life will go down. Does that make sense? If I'm the employee and God's the employer and he's the one that's ultimately in charge, then, then I can live like everything belongs to God and my stress goes down. Verse 1, it says, There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. It all belongs to God, and we're supposed to make the most of what we're given. The rest of this verse says that the guy was wasting his possessions. Anytime I'm wasting money, whose money am I really wasting? I'm wasting God's money. And when I think of it that way, it changes the choices that I make. When I realize, you know what, this is God. Maybe I need to pray about this purchase first. Maybe I need to ask him about it. So number one, it all belongs to God. I need to remind myself that. Second, truth that I need to remember and keep reminding myself every day is God is using my money to test me. It's a constant test through my whole life. In fact, it's like pop quiz, pop quiz, pop quiz. God uses money to test me. He's testing all kinds of things in my life. He doesn't just automatically give his blessing to everyone. He tests first to see if we're responsible, if we can handle it. He's a good, good father. So he says, he says, all right, is he faithful? Is he responsible? Is she faithful? Is she responsible? Then I can, I can give her more to work with. Because if we can't handle it, he's not going to trust us with more. God doesn't give his spiritual power to just anybody. He says, before I give you spiritual power, I'm going to give you some material possessions. And I'm going, to, I'm going to discover if I can trust you. I'm going to help you discover, can I really trust you with material possessions and then give you and trust you with more spiritual power. But if you're not managing the money that I've already given you, why in the world would I give you the stuff that really matters? So this is a test. Life is a test. God is testing us to see if he can trust us with bigger things both here on earth and in eternity. The Bible says if we're faithful in the little things, he is faithful. He will give us much to be faithful with in heaven. There's three things that he tests us that my money tests in me. I know I didn't give you any blanks to fill in there, but if you can fill that out in that section that's there. My money shows what I love the most. How I handle my money reveals to God and to everybody else what I love the most. I can say that God's number one in my life, but you want to know what's really number one in our life? You look at your, your calendar and your bank statement. Where does your time and your money go? Wherever your time and your money goes, that's what's number one in our life. The second thing money shows is that, I re- that I, what I really trust the most. My money shows what I love the most and what I trust the most. Am I trusting in money for my security or am I trusting in God? Am I trusting in money for my happiness or am I trusting in God? Am I trusting in money to make me feel good? meet my needs or am I trusting in God? Then number three, it also shows if God can trust me. This is kind of the reverse of that. It doesn't just show if I, can, if I trust God. It shows that if God can trust me. Because God's saying, I'm looking for the people who manage their lives well. I'm looking for people who manage what I give them well before I give them a spiritual blessing. This next verse is one of the most important couple of verses in the whole New Testament. Look what it says in verse 10. I've already read it to you. You've heard it before, probably. If you're faithful in little things, 
you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, circle untrustworthy about worldly wealth, what is that? That, that phrase means if you're not a good manager, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? So we don't own anything here on this earth, but in heaven, God says, I want to give you some stuff that you will own. He's going to give us our own stuff in eternity. He wants to bless us for eternity with stuff that we, he says, we will own. God says, if I can't trust you with the little that I've loaned you and I've given you to manage on my behalf here, then why should I give you more in heaven or stuff for you in heaven? Jesus says, how I handle my money determines how much God will bless my life. Then there's a third truth that you've got to remember. These are all important, but they kind of build on each other. First, it all belongs to God. Second, God is using my money to test me. Number three, the best use of my money is to use it to get people into heaven. The best use of my money is to use some of it to get people into heaven. This is the part where the problem verse that most people don't understand. Verse 9. It says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Talking about building relationships. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. He's talking about heaven. That's what he's talking about, eternal home. He says, just like the dishonest guy made friends that he can count on later, you need to use some of your money to make spiritual friends, eternal friends, that you're going to have forever and forever in heaven who will welcome you when you get to heaven. Now, does that shock you? That's kind of a, a strange verse. What is he not saying here? Let me tell you what he's not saying. Be very clear. He's not saying that you can buy your way into heaven because you can't. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can be one of the richest billionaires on the planet, can't buy your way into heaven. Why? Because the payment for heaven has already been paid 2,000 years ago by the one and only person who could pay it. Nobody else can pay their way into heaven. Only Jesus was able to pay for your way. He purchased your salvation because you can't and nobody can. It's a free gift of God by grace. So what is he saying? Because he's not saying you can buy your way into heaven. He's not saying you can purchase your own salvation. So what is he saying? What he is saying is use your money to build relationships that are going to go on and on and on through all of eternity. Spiritual friendships. Use your influence. Use your affluence for influence. He says, when I use my money to help people meet Jesus, there's no better use of God's money in my life. And I gain eternal rewards. That's why it says, then they will welcome you. Connect that together. When you do this, then they will welcome you into an eternal home. He's talking about heaven. Imagine one day you're going to die. We're all going to die. We just had a funeral here about 10 days ago. Happened way too soon in her life. But what are you going to live? 80, 90, 100 maybe years? We all end up dying 
someday. And imagine one day that you're going to die and you're going to get to the entrance of heaven. And imagine if there are people there, like a hundred people, waiting for you outside the gate. And, and as you come trotting into heaven, I mean, they're even clapping and encouraging you and cheering you. And they say, we've been waiting for you. We're so glad you're here because we are all here because you spent some of God's money. You spent some of the money you were entrusted with. You spent some of the money you were managing. You spent it to invest it in the kingdom to tell us the good news. And we wouldn't be here. We would have never heard about Jesus if you hadn't used some of your money that way. So the question for us is, are we using any of our money, really are we using any of God's money that God's loaned to us for this kind of a thing? Is there anybody that's going to be in heaven because of how we've managed our time, our talents, our treasure on the earth because of the way we've used our money? The highest and best use of our money is to use it in bringing people into heaven. You can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Now, people have asked me before, they said, well, Jerry, do I have to use all my money for that? I mean, can I use some of my money to feed my kids and, and um, house my family? And of course you can. God's not saying use all your money, um, all his money for this purpose. But the question is, are we using any, any of his money, our money for these purposes? Investing in people. Who are going to be there. Fourth thing I've got to remember every day. This is a big one. Like I said, these build on each other. I've got to remember one day I'm going to give an account to God. I'm going to give an account to God one day because he's going to do an audit on my life. Audit is a scary word, isn't it? Tomorrow is May the 17th that gave you that one-month extension on your taxes. Tomorrow's the day that you've got to send them on in. Hopefully you've done all your work. You've documented everything. You've gone through with your accountant or with your, your tax software, and you are prepared because you know that looming threat is out there, right? The audit. In fact, if you have your own tax software, about every other page it pops up and says, hey, you sure you don't want to spend $99 to have us bail you out of jail? Are you sure you don't want to spend another 129 have us represent you? We have 55 attorneys who will represent you. And it kind of gives you the feeling like, man, I am messing this up. You know, I mean, I, be, I better spend the 99 and the 129 they're going to come get me because of that audit is waiting for me kind of a thing. Don't you feel a little like that? You, you hit send and you say a prayer like, God, it's all yours. You know, if you want me in jail, no, uh, please keep me out. Um, one day we're going to give an audit of our life before God. And God's going to say, okay, what did you do with your talent? What did you do with your relationships? What did you do with your resources? What did you do with your mind and your creativity and your contacts and your network? What did you do with all of the opportunities I gave you, Jerry? And it doesn't matter whether you have a little or a lot. In fact, the Bible even says to whom much is given, much is required. It's like, what are you doing with even the little you've been given? Are we doing with it what God wants us to do with it, that he's trusted us to do? Because we're going to stand before him one day and we're going to give an account 
And he's going to do a life audit. Because our days of managing on the earth aren't going to last forever. One day they're going to be over. Because we're not meant to live on earth forever. But God has loaned us a few things. He's entrusted us a few assets while we're here. And he says, I'm watching you. I'm testing you. I'm going to see what you've been doing with what I've given you. The mind I've given you. The health I've given you. The freedom. Are you spending it all on yourself? Are you using it all for you? God's going to look at us and say, Jerry, do you really think I gave you all that I gave you to use selfishly on yourself? Do you think I created you to live on this planet just to think of you? Wrong answer. One day, we're going to give an account. Each of us will give a personal account to God. Here's the last principle. The last thing for me to remember. If I'm faithful with a little, then God will trust me with more. If I'm faithful with a little, God can trust me with more. That's what this verse 10 says. Jesus says this. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater opportunity. Obviously, whoever is irresponsible with a little is not going to get a chance to be responsible or not with, with much. Are we using our resources, our money, in a way where God says, I want to give him more. I want to give her more. Are we using our time in such a way where God says, I want to give him more time. I want to give her more time. Are we using our influence that way? This principle applies to every area of life. So imagine this. Follow me with this on this. If God has given you just a little bit of talent, you're not a superstar. You're just a regular person like us. You're not a superstar. You're not, you know, a super Christian. You're not, you're like, you're not the MVP on the team. But you're faithful to use it. That's the question. You don't say, because sometimes people have the attitude, well, look, I'm not the superstar. I'm not the MVP on this team. So I'm not even going to participate. What is my contribution going to matter anyway? I'm not... I'm not a big shot. I don't have a lot of influence. I don't have a lot of money. I can't make a big difference. What I do is never going to move the needle. So you just decide I'm just going to. Or you could have the attitude, you know what? I don't have a lot, but I'm going to use whatever I have. God, whatever I have is yours to use. The small talent, the small um, resources that I have, the, the, the time that I have. God, I'm going to give that to you and you use it. Let me tell you, when you take your little and you put it in God's hands, he can do anything he wants with what you give him, really give him back. And God says, if you do that, not only that, but I'm going to increase your talent. I'm going to use what little influence that you use. I'm going to give you more influence. I'm going to use what little money you give. I'm going to use, give you more. This is found in Matthew 25, 29. He says, those who use well what they are given, even more, will be given, and they will have an abundance. Circle that word abundance. Listen, as your pastor who loves you, I want you to have abundance. But you have to understand, it's like what Pastor Rich, those of you, there's 250 of us that are going through this uh, study on uh, every day for 50 days, and you're in small groups. Over 250 people are in small groups. And Pastor Rick Warren's been teaching us that there's a premise and a promise, that every promise has a premise. God promises you abundance, but you have to, the premise is you've got to do 
do your money live God's way? In every area, of the, in, in each area of these life, uh, these different transformations of your life, physical, mental, emotional, relational, that there's a promise, but there's a premise. If we do it God's way, he will promise to give us these promises. Here's one of the things that he promises. He promises fruitfulness. Faithfulness in the little things produces fruitfulness in big ways in our life. Fruitfulness comes by being faithful in the little things. God wants to bless your life with abundance. But to do that, you've got to not do these four things with money, and you've got to remember these five things with money from this Luke 16 parable. Let's pray. I'm going to give you the opportunity to bow your heads and to do a little bit of a personal evaluation on your own as we bow our heads in, in prayer. I want, to ask you, I want you to ask yourself some questions. First question that I want you to ask yourself, does God really have first place in my life? Just ask that honestly to yourself. Does God really have first place in my life or is something else first place in my life? Can God trust me with what he's allowed me to have? Am I managing my money well? Am I managing my opportunities well? Am I managing my life well? My health well? And everything else that God has given me, does the way I'm using my money show God that I can be trusted with more? How much am I investing for eternity? Will anyone be in heaven because of the way that I use my money? And then why don't you just pray this prayer. Make this your prayer. Any of these parts of this prayer that you say, yes, Lord, that's me too. You can, you can just pray these or you can just say yes. Say, dear God, I don't want to waste my money. I think we can all pray that. God, I don't want to waste my money. I don't want to love it. I don't want to live for it. I don't want to trust it for security. And I don't want to expect it to satisfy and meet needs that only you can meet, God. So, Heavenly Father, from this day forward, help me to remember every day that it all belongs to you. That I don't really own anything. It's just all on loan from you, God. And you're going to loan to somebody else when I die. So, God, I want what I do with my money to show that I love you the most. And I want what I do with my money to show that I trust you for security, not my bank account. And God, I want you to look at the way I'm using my life and my money and know that you can trust me with greater responsibility. Help me to remember that money is just a tool. While many people use it for bad, I want to use it for good and for God. Help me to do what this manager did right. Help me to look ahead. Help me to make a plan. I mean, to act quickly and not procrastinate. You said from your own words that the best use of money is to help get people into heaven. That's storing treasure up in heaven. I want to use some of my money to do that. And I know that one day I'll have to give an account to you for how I've used my life and what I did with what I was given. And you said that where your treasure is, your heart is. So God, I want to give you my heart today. 
Well, maybe you're hearing you need to make this your prayer to Jesus and say, Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life. You need Jesus to come into your life? Ask him. Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I want a relationship with you. Not a religion. But I want to learn to know you and to love you and to serve you and to feel your love for me. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for those who are here. We have such a generous church. I pray that you will use this message in those of our lives that we've already made these decisions, that it will be a great reminder for us to bring us back. For those that are hearing this for the first time, I pray, Lord, that, that they will put their trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey again. Seriously, I love being your online host. Thank you for joining us this morning. Super quick reminder about two classes that are coming up next week. We've got Class 101, which is our membership class. If you want to become a member at Seminole Church and really get connected to a church family, this is the class for you. You'll get to hear about all the history of SEC, hear our vision, and meet some awesome people in the process. Pastor Jerry teaches this class, which meets next Sunday at 1 p.m. And next Sunday, Class 201 is also being offered at the same time. This is our Maturity Matters class taught by Pastor Rich. This is the next step for anyone who has completed Class 101. To sign up for either of those, head on over to the website and click Sign Up and Next Steps right on our homepage. It will lead you to the classes we offer, or you can go directly to SeminoleChurch.com forward slash sign up class. All right, that's it for me, SEC Online. I hope you have a great week.